it's Parshat Vayitze again, and uh, and I want to take a look again at something that we looked at last year, which is the whole story of Rachel and Leah and the deception. And I want to start from the bottom of the handout because I've done uh, what Jason, of course, has championed, which is the questions. I talked to Jason last week about this, and he pointed out how helpful it is because when you have the source sheets, even if you forgot the shiur, the questions kind of help guide you through them. Questions here are a little different. They're about kind of a methodology of looking at a story. Um, and we all know enough of the basics of the story to be able to look at the question. In the whole story of the deception of who Yaakov intends to marry, he does marry, and which of course leads to him in terrible circumstances, which is being married to two sisters. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit further on. There are really um, 16 different possibilities of who knows what's going on. And I kind of laid out the math for you there. There's four players there, so it's four squared. Uh, and you see that there's, you know, I put in, I just gave them letters. A is Levan, B is Yaakov, C is Leon, D is Rachel. And of course, there's all of these different possibilities. Either all of them know about it, none of them know about it. Um, three of them, know, one each individual may know about it, etc. But by definition, we can get rid of any circumstance that includes B, because clearly Yaakov didn't know about it for his reaction. And we can also get rid of any circumstance that does not include A, because clearly Levan did know about it. So that leaves us really with only a few possibilities, which is either Lavan knew about it, and that's it. Lavan and Rachel knew about it. Lavan and Leah knew about it. Or Lavan and Rachel and Leah knew about it. Now let's see how that plays out just in real time. Okay? And now that we've got that, let's go back to the story itself. The story uh, is near the beginning of this week's parasha. The, our parasha is made up really of one very long story. It's a single parasha, Mishorah. It begins and ends with the same thing, which is Yaakov is traveling either to or from Haran. He has a vision. He sees angels. He renames the location based on that vision, uh, Beit El and Machanaim, respectively. And we've talked in the past about the chiastic structure of this entire story. And um, the you might almost call it the prelude to his time in Haran is his evening, his night and the vision at Beit El and the subsequent Neder in the morning, which make up a large part of his motivation to return uh, at the end of the parasha. Um, and then the parasha really gets kicking. After the prelude, the story happens in the beginning of Parakhavtet, when he arrives in Ir Nachor, in the area of Haran, he meets the shepherds, and he's talking to the shepherds, the you know, Levan, yes, I do, and here's Rahel, his daughter is coming, etc. Let's pick it up from that point. He's still talking to the shepherds. As we say in my house, Now, by the way, that is something we have to pay attention to. Why is Rachel the shepherd, or the shepherdess, properly? Um, at this point, we don't know, but we would assume it means that, that Lavan either has a very small flock, or he's poor, so he can't afford to pay shepherds, or both. Right? Why is only his own kid doing it? The other question is, why is his daughter doing it? So what immediately comes to mind is that he doesn't have any sons, or at least doesn't have any sons who can do it. Either they're too young, or they're priests, we're going to think about the Yitro, etc. 
right? But they're not they're not sons who can do it. All right, Rachel. Now, if you remember that his job was to come there, he was told by his father to go to Laman and marry one of the daughters of Lavan. He also comes and he sees the tzon. Now, remember, what does Yaakov do for a living? He's a shepherd. He's Yoshevu Halim. So this is an immediate connection. He sees Rachel, who he's supposed to marry a daughter. And by the way, he already knows her name, and her name is Lamb, Rachel. And he sees the flock. He immediately tends to give the water. Why does he roll the rock off? Uh, when the other one said, we don't roll the rock off until everybody comes, is it because, like Rashi famously says, that they were not strong enough, that the rock was so big he needed everybody to help, and Yaakov did it alone, or was it because they had an agreement that you would not uncover the rock until they were all there to make sure that we got their fair share, in which case Yaakov maybe was violating the local norms by rolling it off alone. Either way, he feeds the flock. We have to keep those possibilities open. And now Vayishak, and there's, by the way, a play on words here, because Vayash et Tzon Lavan, and Vayishak Yaakov Rachel. Remember, Rachel is a lamb, the name Rachel. So Vayash et Tzon, and Vayishak Yaakov Rachel. And Yaakov kisses Rachel. This is a kiss not of passion. It's a kiss of family and of a journey, etc. Uh, of course, the high school kids love to look it up and so they get all tittery about it, but it's not anything to be worried about. Vayisad Kolo Vayevk. And then he weeps. And the weeping here, presumably, is, is uh, of, of joy and relief. Now, by the way, this is a interesting parallel. It is the last time a guy arrived and got water to the well in this area that we know about is Avram's slave. And Avram's slave did something that seems, from one perspective, to be out of order. He first gives Rivka the gold, then he finds out who she is. And remember, in his retelling the story, he flipped that. Uh, here also, Yaakov first embraces her, and then he introduces himself. So it's sort of like a mirror image of the same thing. It's kind of out of order. Now, Achiyaviyahu is a little bit awkward. He is not her father's brother. He's rather his father's nephew, meaning he's her first cousin. Um, he's also related to her from both sides, right? Because he's related to his father and to his mother. Through his mother, this girl is his cousin. Through his father, this girl is his cousin once he moved to the math. You'll see him make a man. But uh, he says, But it's not a problem, because you know the word ach in Tanakh does not mean a male sibling only. It can mean any male member of the family, like Abram says to Lot, it can also mean a friend. It can mean he just said to the shepherds, so that's not a big deal. Um, and to introduce himself, Nails it down. I'm the son of Rivka, your aunt Rivka. So she goes around and tells her father. Some of the Rishonim point out that in Rivka's case, she went and told her mother, uh, why here does she tell her father? It makes sense because he's the father's relative. We don't know who the mother is. We don't know who Mrs. Baran is. Uh, in any case, so now, so when he hears Yaakov's coming, he embraces him. It's very nice. By El brings him to his house. By the way, at this point, and this is really a different shiur, but one we have to think about is Lavan's behavior here is on the up and up. He brings him to his house, his family. He tells Lavan all of these things. Now, what's all of these things? Does that mean Esau wants to kill me? I mean I stole the Does it mean I've come here to marry a daughter? We don't know. 
So Lavan says, your family, by the way, takes us back to Adam Arishon, flesh and blood. And uh, and Yaakov stays there for a month. We don't know what he does for a month, but it looks like he starts working. Because, aren't you family? Why should you work for me for free? Now, it's not exactly for free. Right now, it seems to be for room and board. Yaakov is living there for free, and he's working, evidently, for free, so he's earning his keep. But Lavan says, I actually pay you something. Your family. So name your price. So it sounds like the first month is just hospitality. Lishma. But Yaakov's already working, as we can see from Balatani Hinam. And so it's hospitality, Lishma, as is befitting in the, any tribal society. Remember, the tribe comes from a distance, you bring him in. A month seems to be sort of the cap on that. Uh, and then uh, the choice is either you leave or you find some means to pay for you being there. But in the meantime, from Laban's perspective, Yaakov is working, so he says, I don't want you to work for free, name a price. And now the text interjects, we we did not know this before, we knew that he had a daughter named Rachel. Shem which by the way means wild cow, just important to know the name, Shem Haktana Rachel, okay, the you. Ve'inai le'a rakot, now, we've all grown up with Rashi, and so we all think that Leah is not attractive and that her eyes look washed out. She's been weeping the whole time. Most of the Rishonim disagree, and they actually take the position that Leah was very pretty and very feminine. I have soft eyes that maybe couldn't even be in the sun too much, which is why Rachel was the one relegated to be the shepherdess, because Leah was a girly girl who couldn't be outside. Rachel, I tell you, and Rachel, bye. Was if I talk about Mara, which may mean more robust and more uh, perhaps uh, you know an outdoorsy kind of girl. In any case, these girls are clearly quite young. And the first thing is that Rafael Mayar, neither of them are betrothed, as we see later in the story, which means they're pretty young. Uh, and how young we'll see in a second. Now, important note that Yaakov is now looking at these two girls, or he's aware of the two girls. And, and important to note that the word ahav and sone is opposite, which in, in the independent case means love and hate, meaning when you're talking about the simple relationship between a person and an object or a person and another person, love or hate. When you're talking about a person and multiple, either multiple people, multiple lands, multiple whatever, is best translated as prefer and prefer less. We see this all over the place. Look at the beginning of Malachi. Look at uh, Yaakov and Leisav and their parents. Leisav, Mitzchak, and Leisav, etc. Leisav, Yaakov, Rachel means Yaakov favors Rachel. Okay. Vayomer Avod Chashel Hashanim Rachel Bifah Tana. This is our work for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter, and famous Rashi, which Rachel doesn't want to bring in another one. Wants to make sure that he dots all dots all the eyes and crosses all the T's. Rachel Bifah Tana. But the idea is that he's ready to work for seven years because this, of course, is why he sent, why he was sent here. If you think about it, this may seem like an exorbitant price for a bride. Um, and uh, seven years of work is, is humongous. 
Uh, nonetheless, uh, from his perspective, this is why he was sent here. So he gets uh, refuge from Esav, protection in the house of Lavan, distance, and he also gets what he needs at the end of that time, which is Rachel. So it works very well for him. Um, why seven years? So at first blush, we would say, because Rachel is probably seven years away from marriage, meaning she's like five or six. And so, well, seven years from now, Rachel will be a marriageable age. I'll contract with you now, which would mean Rachel may be betrothed. We don't know what that means pre-Har Sinai. She may be betrothed. We don't even know what it means post-Har Sinai because there's no mention of that here. Uh, but she's promised to Yaakov um, uh, after uh, after seven years of work. Okay. Now, Leah's older. Leah. If Leah's older, that means that seven years from now, the assumption is, of course, that Leah will be married because uh, Leah will already reach the age of marriage and we don't hear that Levan is some sort of uh, social outcast or anything, that his daughters wouldn't be marriageable. And they both seem to be attractive girls. <clears throat> so let's see what happens. And this sounds like a very bad statement on Levan's part. Better I should give it to you than give it to somebody else. It's not exactly a really uh, support for the, the marriage. And yet, if you think about it from Lavan's perspective, having her marry somebody local would be a lot more reasonable, a lot more expected. And yet, he says, okay, your family, so better to have you, be, have you be with somebody with family. Now, let's step back for a second and think about what Lavan's actually doing here. Lavan has two daughters. He evidently has no sons. And that would be the way we're introduced to him, it seems to be, we don't even know if his wife's alive anymore, but he has um, he has two daughters. So that means that Lavan, who is old enough, you know, not old, but old enough to have uh, these daughters and seemingly, I mean, he's clearly older than Rivka, which makes him significantly older than Yaakov, uh, may be looking towards the end of his days. And who's going to take over the estate? And so now, fortunately, this young man has come, or however young he is, has come, who is going to do what he's been working and is now going to stay on the estate and marry Rafael. It's a great deal. All right? So, imadi, you stay here. All right? So the deal is made. I have never in my life understood this pasuk. Yaakov works for Rachel for seven years, and it seems like just a year or a few days because he loves her so much. And of course, our experience is very much the opposite. That when there's something that we're anticipating, we at the time seem to drag on until we get there. Uh, but the pasuk is what the pasuk is. Sorry. So Yaakov then turns to Lavan when seven years are up and says, "Let me have my wife." Notice he doesn't say a name because Yamalu Yamai finished my days. We have completed it. Now Avoyeleha does not need to be read in the same way that we would normally read B.I. in a mineral context. It may mean, like some of you saw him say, let me come into her room, meaning let me join her in one room, not necessarily related to relations. And that's and that and that's fine. And by the way, Yaakov's words here, although the Midrash actually critiques them for being somewhat pedestrian or even sort of uh, lowly, um, don't necessarily need to be read, read that way, uh, but but uh, you know, time's up. I made a deal, and time to live up to the deal. 
Now, this is where things get testy, and this is where the whole story, the whole deception happens. What's going on at this point? Now, the question is, what does Lavan know? What does Lavan think? What does Yaakov know? What does Yaakov think? And ask the same question about Leah and Rachel. There's nobody else here who's a player. We don't care about the bystanders. We don't care about Rivka and Esav and Yitzchak. We're back in Canaan. We only care about those four players. What are they thinking? All right, now keep that in mind as you read it, and we're going to go through all four possible four scenarios or four modes of thinking. Yasoklavan gathers all of the men of the location and makes a party. What's the party for? It's a wedding feast. Who's at the wedding feast? What do you think? Who's present at the wedding feast? Well, speak up. It's fine. Who do you think's there? People of the town? People of the town. Who else is there? Rachel, Rachel Leah. Yeah. Rachel and Leah are both at the wedding feast. Interesting. What else? Who else? Lavan. Would he have invited Avraham's family? Lavan. Well, I mean, I don't know about that, but of the critical people that we, we care about, who's there? Lavan is certainly there, and Yaakov is certainly there. She's Yaakov's wedding. I'm going to suggest that neither Rachel nor Leah were there, and very likely no women were there at the feast itself. Well, I'll tell you why. Why? Vahiva Erev, meaning the feast is during the day, and then Vahiva Erev at evening, Vahikach et Leah Vito, He brings Leah either in the shroud of darkness or she's got something over her, whatever it is, he brings her to Yaakov, Vahiva And now Yaakov has relations with her. Now, why does Yaakov have relations with Leah? All right, let's start with that. He thinks it's Rachel, right? So we're either Leah or Rachel at the wedding feast. We would presume that a bride would be wearing something distinctive at her own wedding feast. So if Leah is wearing the distinctive clothes, Yaakov is going to turn and say, what the heck is she doing wearing that clothes clothes? If, on the other hand, you're going to say Rachel does, then that becomes part of the much larger agotic direction of saying that Rachel and Leah are both in on it, which is very problematic. We're going to take a look at that direction. I'm going to suggest for right now, a priori, that Rachel and Leah, neither of them nor any of the women are at the feast. Yaakov's at the feast, and then Yaakov goes into his room, and it was dark, and Leah comes in, and he thinks it's Rachel, he has relations with her, why does he think it's Rachel? So what immediately comes to mind is it's dark. That's one possibility. Meaning it's dark for sure, but doesn't mean he doesn't talk to her. Doesn't mean that even in the dark, he can't tell the features apart. Kind of difficult. But let's ask another question that we're going to come back to in a minute. How much contact did Yaakov have with either Rachel or Leah during these seven years? We have no idea, but we have a little bit of an idea, because we know what herding contracts look like from the 18th century B.C. and this time period in this part of the world, and they include herding for months on end on in travel, nomadically. It's very likely Yaakov comes, he contracts, and then he's gone for a year, he comes back, he's gone for another six months, and comes back. And there's no need to say that he has an ongoing relationship with either Leah or Rachel. 
So it's very possible that he meets Rachel one time out in the field when she's a young kid. Seven years later, he's not going to know who's Rachel and Zoyah. It's possible that there is light. It's possible that that or that there, there is some talk between them. And yet, how's he going to know? We'll see that one of the brings this up as a possibility. In any case, Vahivavah, I want to come back to, to the deception issue. But first this, Vahivavah, in the morning, poof, it's Leah. Surprise. All right, by the way, I skipped that. I skipped the giving of Zilpah as a Shifcha, not relevant to our issue. He doesn't get mad at Leah in the text. He talks to Lavan. And he says, Mazot Asita Li. Now, here's where we have, there's an important methodological point about narrative and about dialogue and narrative. When people speak in, according in a narrative, we have to remember they're speaking. Is the Torah true? Absolutely. Is it true that Adam said, um, said, Lo Yadati? Or that Kain, is it true that Kain said, Yeah, of course. Are the words true? The words are true insofar that Kain said them. But is it true that I'm not my brother's keeper? Of course not. Right? Is it true when when Nimiyahu, uh, the king of Egypt, says, I made the Nile? Of course he said that. I mean, yeah, but it doesn't mean that's a true statement. Meaning it's true that he said it. Right? So now, when Yaakov says Lamari Mitani, we take that at face value and say, aha, Laban Arami, Haramai, Laban tricked him. He tricked him by sneaking my eye when it should have been Rachel. But is it really a trick? Watch what happens. Laban doesn't even defend himself so much as just say, what the heck are you talking about? We don't do things like that here. We don't have the younger one come in before the older one. And by the way, there is a piece of very pointed Musar there. Saying, in your place, maybe you pretend to be your older brother and you steal Brachot from your father, right? But we don't do stuff like that. We play it straight here. The oldest comes first. And by the way, how long have you been here? You've been here seven years. You've been to weddings. You've been to feasts. You know, our custom is you don't marry a girl off until her older sister's married off. What do you think when you knew Leah wasn't married? What are you thinking? Of course it's Leah. By the way, notice that Yaakov never asked for Rachel. He said, Abad Yishti, me and my wife. And the important, important thing here is that Yaakov does not respond to that. He doesn't say, oh, come on. You know that it was Rachel. Which means that maybe the answer to our question is that it's a false premise. In other words, when I say, who isn't on the deception? So who, is there, who says there was a deception at all? But clearly, Yaakov believed it was going to be Rachel. Who was aware that Yaakov believed it was going to be Rachel? and engineered it to be Leah knowingly without telling. And that's the other way of framing the question, but it's a different question, and which is either Lavan is the only one who knows, Lavan and Leah know, Lavan and Rachel know, Lavan and Leah and Rachel all know. So let's just finish off this little piece, and then we'll explore the possibilities. By the way, the way Lavan talks to his daughters, also not so nice. Give this one her week, and then I'll give you the other one. I'll give you this one and the other one, right, for the work that you'll do for another seven years. So Levan certainly has one here in that he now gets both daughters married to the same guy, who now becomes the heir apparent to the estate, and he gets an extra seven years of work out of 
Yaakov that he didn't anticipate, maybe, unless this is a plan. And Yaakov does it, and he made it for another seven years, and he got all that. Okay, we understand. There's a Midrashic direction, which we're all familiar with. I'm going to show it to you in four different places. You'll see it's very, it's slight variations between the places, but it's it's a pretty common uh, common and well-known tradition about the whole, that whole night and what happened. But you will, when we step back and think about it, we'll realize it's a very difficult tradition. So in the Migrash Agadah, it's a late, late Migrash uh, Bereshit, Amar Yaakov, this is when Yaakov first meets Rachel. He says to her, marry me, Amar Lohim, yes, I want to marry you, Ela Abba Ramahu, my father is deceptive, you won't be able to meet him. He'll outfox you. Right? If he's a traitor, I can out-cheat him. <laughs> I have a history with Esau. If he's a straight guy, I can be a straight guy. But she said, okay, fine, but you still can't beat him. Yaakov gave her a code, something, either a physical thing or words, that would be their way of knowing that it was really her. And by the way, this Midrash means they we're already anticipating that she, that he's going to be promised Rachel and that there's going to be cheating going on. And the only way to protect against that is with these Simanim. The same thing shows up in Pseudo-Jonathan, same with late, probably 12th, 13th century uh, Midrashic Targum on the Torah. It's not Yonatan Benuziel, that's for sure. And in it, we have, as you see, meaning in the morning when she thought it was Leah, he says, all night I thought it was Rachel because Rachel had given Leah all of the simanim. So now we have the two parts of the puzzle. Yaakov gives Rachel simanim, Rachel then gives Leah simanim, right? And now let's see what the purpose of that whole thing is. Um, and uh, we see it best um, over here in this famous Midrash, in the Tichta Vecha Rabbah, Tichta Otavecha, just amazing. And in it, famously, every one of the Avotim Mahot comes to plead for Israel, Hashem shouldn't destroy Israel, Avram fails, Yitzchak fails, Yaakov fails, etc. Finally comes to Rachel. Rachel comes and says, I have loved Yaakov, and nonetheless, um, you, you see, uh, here it is, um, right here, Rodati Libali, at least called Yaakov, Lo Siman Shakir Now, in this, by the way, in this story, Rachel's the one who gives the Siman, not Yaakov. She gave Yaakov some sort of Siman, so you know it was her. Today, So, Father can't switch us. She had a great sexual longing for Yaakov, and she subdued it. For the benefit of a sister, my sister is not embarrassed. Now let's think about that. What would that mean? How would her sister be embarrassed? So the assumption is that Leah would be brought into the marital bed with Yaakov. Yaakov would say, purple ravens fly over the sea. And Leah would say, what the heck are you talking about? They say, get out of here. Who are you? Right? And Leah would be publicly shamed, etc. Okay. But now let's step back one step. Rachel gives Leah this code, right? Which is that the the tide comes in when the moon is high, right? Whatever the code is. How does that conversation go? What do you think? Rachel comes up to Leah and says, "Listen, 
tonight's your wedding. So I want to tell you something. Good. What, what, what's, the, what's the rest of the conversation? What are you picturing? You see the problem? Is Rachel supposed to say to Leah, listen, he really thinks it's me because it's me he wants, but I don't want you to be embarrassed, so I'm going to tell you this code. What would Leah or anybody else do at that point? Reasonably. What would she do? I, that's why the whole thing is difficult. It's difficult for a reason in the text. We'll see in a minute. Notice, she calls Yaakov Bali. They did do the swap. And I gave her all the simanim, so she would think it's that I'm, I'm, it's really me, and uh, my sister wouldn't be embarrassed. All right, very, very nice. But you understand the difficulty in this whole story. But there's a greater difficulty which emerges right from the text itself. Later on in the story of the Dida'im, or the mandrakes, or whatever the flowers are that Ruvain caught and picked and brought to Leah, immediately uh, Rachel comes up to uh, Leah and says, Let me have those Dida'im. And watch what Leah says. This is Leah speaking to Rachel. Is it not enough you took my husband? What does that mean? You also want to take my flowers that my son gave me. And Rachel doesn't disagree. She doesn't say, I didn't take you. She says, okay, I'll make you a deal. You can sleep with Yaakov. Tonight's my night. I'll give you the night for the man. It's okay. But, and notice how the Sforno picks up on this. Meaning, Yaakov married me. When suddenly the opportunity came up for you to also join a week later, you should have said no, because you should not have agreed to be my co-wife and create the enmity that exists between co-wives and certainly sisters as co-wives. Take a look at the Bechor Shor in Vayikra, the Isura, we floor. And in the Rashbam and the Bechor Shor, how they describe the terrible enmity that's created between any two women who share a husband and certainly two sisters who otherwise loved each other, etc. So, um, the, the the clear sense here is that Rachel doesn't seem to know that she was really supposed to be the promised wife. And Leah, as far as she's concerned, was the one who was supposed to be the wife. And Rachel, by the way, doesn't have any answer to that. Now, important to note that in the Midrash, she does. In the Midrash here, um, in, uh, in the Midrash Haggadah, source 4, uh, which we already saw, you notice that when she says, she says, How does she interpret it? Not that you stole my husband and that you shouldn't have agreed to mention it, but now you're so attractive, you're taking him away from me. This is Midrash. He's not your husband, he's really my husband. I'm the one who came to marry. Right, so in this midrash, Rachel does answer by saying, he was, "I was the one who was really going to marry," but she doesn't say anything about. Uh, she, here in the midrash continues with the simanim, but then again, this conversation doesn't make any sense. She's saying now, but I a few years later, oh yes, remember I gave you simanim and he became your husband. Why would Leah not know that? This whole conversation is very bizarre. 
<clears throat> so we have to, to, I think, read Pshat here, read the simple reading of the story as follows. Yaakov comes to work and he says, okay, I'll work for Rachel. And again, the assumption is Leah will be married by the time that seven years should end. Surprise, surprise, Leah's not married. Yaakov, at the very least, should have come up to Laurent and said, I know that Leah's not married yet. I'm willing to wait another year until she's married, and then I can marry Rachel or something. He doesn't even say the word Rachel. He says, I'm going to marry my, my wife. Having been in that place that long, he should have certainly known that the wife he'd be given would be Leah. And we see this play out in the story. Leah is the prime wife. Leah, by the way, is the one who produces seven out of the 13 kids. Leah is the prime wife. And Rachel is the one who comes second. Rachel is the one who really, if you will, is the Isur of Isha Alachotah, which is the second of the sisters that get married, famous Ramban and Rizvot Aretz. <clears throat> and that you can meet, even make the argument that there really is no deception. But if we do argue there's deception, meaning that Lavan knew that Yaakov was going to expect Rachel, and he was cheating by bringing Leah in, the sense of the text is that neither Leah nor Rachel actually knew about that at all. And the best argument of that, of course, is from the, the response of Ma'akach Rachel doesn't turn around in the text at all and say, what are you talking about? He was my husband. You know that I was supposed to be there. You know I gave the thing to you. Right? So what, we, what we've seen here is exploring all the different possibilities looking at the text about who knows what's going on. Now, why is it that we look at it this way? Why is it that we typically look at it as A, a deception? And B, as there being all sorts of, um, of um, cloak and dagger kind of stuff, all sorts of deceptive tactical moves, both by Avan and then a counter by Rachel. Um, and then we're going to see another one by Leah, which is going to end with, which is really delightful. Um, why do we read it that way? The answer is, I think, and this is a much larger issue for where we have to touch on briefly is that characters in Tanakh, especially secondary characters, usually get caricaturized in our literature. Meaning, a character like um, Esav, like Laban, like Ishmael, um, uh, Eliphaz, certainly the tertiary character. Uh, characters of that sort usually get painted in very stark colors, black or white, often black. And I don't mean that in any racial sense. I mean it simply in the literary sense that we usually use of good and evil. Um, Esav in Breshit is who he is. Esav, by the time you get to Sefer Bamibar, Esav, by the time you get to Sefer Yumiyahu and Ovadia, is terrible. Esav, by the time you get to the Midrash, is a monster. But Esav is not that monster in Sefer Breshit. And Esav takes on those hues for reasons that are part of the entire Midrashic enterprise. The same thing is true with Lavan. Now, we often will judge somebody in Tanakh, we've seen this numerous times, based on the last time we see them. We judge Lot very unfavorably because the last scene we have is Lot, two pregnant daughters and a bottle of ripple in a cave somewhere. Um, we judge Noah unfavorably. Last scene we see with Noah, something similar to that. Um, we judge others very favorably because the very last scene we see of them is serene, is ironic, is, is angelic almost, is positive. Um, 
the last thing that we hear about Lavan starts with this. And this is the beginning of the end of this week's parasha. Lavan's enmity for Yaakov and his threats to Yaakov occupy the end of the parasha. But that's the last we hear of Lavan. We have to remember, look at that pasuk carefully. That means Lavan didn't used to be like that. Didn't used to be like that covers the period of the marriage, which means Lavan was not anti-Yaakov at the time of the marriage or at the time of the birth of the kids. It's only here when Yaakov decides to flee because Lavan no longer looks at him with a friendly face and favorably. That being the case, we have to look back at the story and say, Lavan, in spite of his Midrashim, and the delightful Midrash read here, uh, that we that we looked at last year. You can take a look at it on your own, source seven, uh, about what Lavan did at the feast. <clears throat> but the, to read the entire scene deceptively really is not in the spirit of what the text is telling. However, the one midrashic direction taken, which is about Bachel being aware of Lavan's deceptiveness, again based on the end of Lavan, and Rachel being. Uh, being cognizant of how much the father will play chicanery to get what he wants, sets up the simanim, and the simanim become a badge of honor for the meta-historic Rachel, the Rachel menu of the Midrash, the Rachel, if you will, of Sefer Yomiyahu Lamed Aleph, Rachel Mubakal Banan. But also in the case of Leah, Leah plays a wonderful role in the Midrash in this story. And the Midrash shows up a couple of places, I'll show it to you in Midrash Sechel Tov, uh, the way he words it is very helpful. Sechato, of course, is telling me to burn the light. It's like 11th century. Italy, 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 Greece. Meaning, he is surprised. In the morning, he looked at the work carefully, and behold, she's Leah. By the way, it means Leah and Rachel weren't all that different, or at least Yaakov didn't have awareness of that until he had a chance to look carefully. This is a translation of the Midrash Rabbah. The deceptive girl, daughter of a deceptive man. Why did you do this? Meaning all night I'm saying Rachel, I'm saying yes. She says back to him, didn't you do the same thing to your father? Your father kept saying, and you kept saying, yes, yes. And there's a very powerful statement in this Midrash, in that the Midrashic Leah then becomes the foil for a, for a Midah Keneged Midah, of Yaakov getting his comeuppance for his tricking his father in that he was Esav, and now in the dark, in the blindness, and now he's tricked in the dark, and so much of that happens in the, in the, in the life of Yaakov. Parenthetically, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> Yaakov not recognizing her. The Bechor Shor here makes two suggestions. He says, This teaches me that Yaakov didn't spend a lot of time talking with her in bed. He would have recognized both by the timbre of her voice and by her words that she's not Rachel. And then he says something else. Maybe he didn't really have that much to do with Rachel or Leah up until this point, uh, which takes us back to the beginning of this year. What I suggested suggested that perhaps <clears throat> Yaakov really wasn't all that familiar with them at all. And in the morning, he recognizes Leah because he knows in the light of day, he can see the difference. But that's about it. 
Because what we've done over the past 40 minutes is take a look at this vital story, because it is a vital story to us, because this is where the seeds of internal destruction happen. It is the marriage of two sisters, one man, which the Torah clearly prohibits as, a, as an erva, and is the only place where the Torah refers to one as a tzara, the word we use for co-wives, but is starts there, it's raw. And really are the seeds of destruction, because this is the point that is the, shall we say, the foundational point, what leads to the hatred of the brothers for Yosef, Yaakov's over-favoritism of Yosef, the brothers throwing Yosef in the pit, ascending up in Yitzrayim, and as Chazal famously say, this is the point that started Shibu Yitzrayim right here. And that's why perhaps in the Seder we say, in Haggadah we say, Lavan Bikesh Lakwa Takol, by manipulating this, so that his two sisters, two daughters are married to the same guy, created an internal um, disruption uh, in the family, which was, you know, led to ter- terrible, terrible things. Uh, the threat to kill brothers, killing brothers, etc. And so we looked at the different possibilities in a exact sense. I believe that the, the, the easiest way to read this is to say that there isn't deception going on, that neither Rachel nor Leah know who's supposed to be in there. Leah assumes it's supposed to be her. Rachel doesn't know anything about it. She wasn't aware that Yaakov engaged uh, the work to be engaged to her. And um, she might be as surprised as anybody else when a week later she uh, she joins under the chuppah also. Uh, and then, but midrashically, we looked at the possibility of there being deception here and then of seeing who is aware of the deception. Is it Laban and Leah Rachel don't know about what's going on? Or is Rachel aware of it? But if Rachel's aware of it, Leah has to be aware of it. And again, the question is, what does that conversation look like? I'm giving you simanim. How does that spare Leah from the shame? That, that sparing of the shame, of course, becomes a critical midrashic code. In the midrash in Echarabba, the midrash, but again, reading in Pshat, it becomes a difficult piece. So we've re-examined the story. Next year, we'll look at something else in person, but say, there's lots and lots of good stuff to do, but there's such a delightful piece. Tangle with it, I thought it would be kind of fun for us to do. Okay, thanks for joining.